0: Thank you, Jordan. Good morning. I'm, uh, I'm Ruth Seidel. I'm the associate pastor here at North, and we're continuing this Bible study series in the prophet Ezekiel this morning. This summer, I've also been thinking about the fact that I just turned the age that my father was when he had his first heart attack. It was a huge shock to our family, and it was a bit of a shock to me this summer to realize I'm that age, I connected with it in a different way. My dad, I'm happy to say, is still alive 30 years after his quadruple bypass, but heart disease runs in my family, and turns out it's the most common cause of death in this country. So I'm paying a little more attention to the three factors that I learned when he was sick, animal fats, exercise, and stress. because it's all about keeping blood flowing. It turns out the heart rarely fails. Most of the time, the problem isn't the heart, but the blockages in those arteries uh, where the blood is flowing to and from the heart. God speaks through Ezekiel this morning to a disease that runs in the human family. It's a disease that he told the people at the time of Ezekiel was killing them. It's a disease that blocks the flow of God's life and love and healing to the world through God's people now. Because it turns out that God's heart is functioning just fine. Uh, he's not forgotten the world. He's not aging. He's not disinterested. He's not tired. But the flow of God's love and life circulating, circulates through us God's people, and this is the place that that flow can be blocked. Ezekiel describes both the signs of blockage and the signs of health for God's people as he gets to the heart of the matter here in chapter 34. Let's pray. Awesome God, we are grateful to stand under your word today. May we hear it and have ears and eyes to see and have a new experience with the truth because of who we are today and where we live today and what's going on. Would you speak to us individually, Lord, by your spirit, in Christ's name, amen. The historical uh, context of chapter 34 is really important because we've been traveling with Ezekiel. We know that he's writing from Babylon. He's speaking the words of, Uh, of God in exile in Babylon and it turns out that the Hebrew people through the first 32 chapters are in denial of the fact that God has judged them. They are saying things like we're the people of God. God's not going to judge us. They were holding on to this belief that they were going to return to Jerusalem and resume life as they knew it. For 32 chapters, Ezekiel is speaking judgment and warning of impending doom, but they will not have it. And then there's this turning point in chapter 33, and it's in verse 21, that this critical turning point in the book happens. Listen to the words. First, they they place it in time. In the 12th year of our exile, in the 10th month, on the fifth day. That's what we do with momentous things, right? We remember the day it happened. Someone who had escaped from Jerusalem came to me and said, drumroll please, the city has fallen. You can't even imagine the devastation of those words for God's people who believed that Jerusalem was untouchable because they were God's people. 586 BCE, Zedekiah, the last of the Davidic kings, rebels against Babylon, and Babylon comes in and crushes him. They destroy the temple. They burn the city. They raise the walls. It is left in a pile of rubble. So that's the context in which we begin chapter 34. Ten years they have been yearning to return, and, and at this point, all hope is completely crushed. They are exiles with no home, No hope of return. Like many of the 25 million international refugees today in Central Africa, Central America, Syria, Myanmar, and Afghanistan, they hear the words of Ezekiel from the bottom. And it's to this despair that the rest of the book is written. Words of hope. So as you heard, uh, part of chapter 34 read, it might not have... Sounded like a word of hope uh, because it is a word of judgment, but also a word of hope. Kind of like the echocardiogram that displays disease in our hearts, right? That test my dad took led to bad news before it became good news. The echocardiogram is a judgment, it brings bad news. But the disease that could kill him was there whether or not he had the test. And the test is what allowed him to move into the good news about treatment and healing. God's first words in this chapter are to the shepherds. And all over the Mideast, kings were considered shepherds and called shepherds. And that was like a picture of what their job was. So we can kind of substitute the words government religious leaders, pastors. God is speaking here to the complete failure of the governing leaders who were the kings and priests of Israel to do what they were put in position to do. What are governments supposed to do? Well, there's two scriptures. I'm just briefly gonna, there's lots more, but 1 Peter 2 says, respect authorities. They are God's emissaries for keeping order. Romans 13 says, all governments are under God. Insofar as there is peace and order, it's God's order. Decent citizens should have nothing to fear from government. Authorities are God's emissaries. And here in Ezekiel, God is exerting his right to fire his emissaries who are not doing what he put them in place to do. They are not only failing to take care of people, but they're actually exploiting the flock, exploiting those they have authority over for their own wealth. Can you imagine? Unfortunately, we have way too many examples. They are oppressing those who don't have power. They are bullying the sheep, it says in verse 4. Abraham Lincoln said, nearly all men can stand adversity, but if you want to test a man's character, give him power. So these are critical signs of blockage in the hearts and in the systems and the institutions of religion of that time. The blockage is abuse of power and abuse of authority. And I know a lot of you are thinking, "Ah, great, I can opt out. I'm not a pastor. I'm not an authority. But remember that second section of verses we read? That same disease, it says, is prevalent among God's people. Verse 17. My flock. We could almost just listen to this and sit in silence for a while. Is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture Must you also trample the rest of your pasture with your feet? Is it not enough for you to have clear water? Must you also muddy the rest with your feet? I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep because you shove with flank and shoulder butting all the weak sheep with your horns until you have driven them away. I will judge between one sheep and another." That was a painful indictment for a well-fed and well-provisioned American woman to read. I have access to resources, food, clean water, shelter, education, employment opportunities. I can get the support of government and police and health care providers. And the questions I have to ask myself and that I hope you will ask yourself are these. Where am I? Where are we? Through our insatiable appetite for more, muddying the water and trampling the pasture for those less resourced than ourselves. Where am I? And where are we? using our strength to drive weaker people away, people God calls his flock. Where am I? And where are we part of systems and institutions that limit access for others to the good things we enjoy? It's very bad news for fat sheep, (laughs) but it's very good news for the lean sheep. Verse 22, I'll come in and save my dear flock. No longer let them be pushed around. I'll step in and set things right. I'll appoint one shepherd over them all, my servant David. He'll feed them. He'll be their shepherd and I, God, will be their God. So let's talk about how abuse of authority and power blocks God's heart. Some of you, and I've heard some of your stories, have been victims of spiritual abuse. Unfortunately, it's not uncommon in our world. My husband and I experienced it in Zion, Illinois, in the 70s, when our pastor became entangled with the teaching of an influential and evil shepherd named Jack Hiles. The manipulation and abuse of women was a key focus of that leader, and it took us many years to recover from the devastation of having a bully for a pastor who taught that to disobey him was to disobey God. And I hope that if you've been under the teaching of a greedy or exploitive church leader that you're taking steps towards healing. I'd be happy to talk to you. Email me if you want to know some resources that might be helpful. But Ezekiel 34 gives us a metric by which we both can measure our leaders and measure ourselves. And here it is. What is our treatment of those with less less power and authority? What is our treatment of those with less power and authority? God speaks to power all through the scripture in different ways. Ephesians 6, 4, he has a word to parents who hold power over their children. Don't exasperate your children by coming down hard on them. Deuteronomy 24, he has a word to employers who have power. And if you hire so much as a babysitter or get a cup of coffee from a barista, you're an employer, according to the scripture. So this is for you. Do not take advantage of a hired worker who is poor and needy. Exodus 22 has a word to the power of us as citizens. Do not mistreat or oppress a foreigner. Ezekiel 22:29 has a word to the rich, to the power of having wealth. Give the poor and needy access to justice. And a word to the powerful in the church, church leaders from 1 Peter 5, be shepherds of God's flock, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Authority and power of every kind are on loan from the source of all authority and power. They are to be used to express the life and love of the Creator. This is why we can't have this transactional current approach to relationships that we experience in our culture. People are not transactions. They carry the image of God. I'll never forget early in my um, employment at Bethany We were getting ready for our first women's retreat and a woman at the last minute wanted to add a friend to her room. It went from a room of four to five and she would have saved $10. And there was some difficulty in the system of getting her that $10 refund. And um, she screamed at the admin in the office for 20 minutes over that $10 until that faithful young worker (laughs) was in tears God considers our treatment of those with less power and authority the very heart of the matter. So, if self interest and using people in our interest rather than for their good is a sign of blocking the flow of God's life through us, what are the signs of health? Well, they're the, they're the verses we didn't read this morning, and I hope you will go back and look at them. Verses 11 through 16. The description of the good shepherd, which is almost an exact mirror of what the, what the unfaithful false shepherds were doing. The good use of authority and power is described here in a series of I will. From now on, I myself am the shepherd. I'm going, I, go, I will look out for them. I'll rescue them. I will bring them back to their homeland. I will feed them. I will lead them in lush pasture. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. I will make sure they get plenty of rest. I'll go after the lost. I will collect the strays. I will doctor the injured. I will build up the weak ones. And I will oversee the strong ones so they don't exploit the weak. The great shepherd, the good shepherd, the final king that is talked about here is... Awesome, yes. I only give you the really easy questions. (laughs) Jesus is the shepherd described here. And I want you to know that you won't understand Jesus' words, you won't understand the Gospels, if you don't read the rest of the Bible. Because his words are steeped in references that drew his listeners to the teaching like this from Ezekiel. Part of the anger that Jesus generated among his, the leaders at that time, were because they connected the dots. Listen to these words. After hearing the words of Ezekiel, think about these words that Jesus spoke. I came to seek and to save the lost. You are like sheep without a shepherd. I am the good shepherd. The hired man cares nothing for the sheep. Those statements were not sweet benign statements. They were indictments of Israel's first century religious leaders because Jesus was drawing their attention to this chapter in Ezekiel. He was putting them on notice that God was firing them, that they were being replaced by a new shepherd. And Jesus was that very human demonstration of the appropriate use of authority and power. Here's the appropriate use of power. It is power under the sway of love. Andy Croach says it beautifully in his book. Love transfigures power. Absolute love transfigures absolute power. And power transfigured by love is the power that makes and saves the world. Listen to that last sentence again. Power transfigured by love is the power that made and saves the world. In his book, Andy uses the illustration of the absolute power of a new mother. She has the power of life and death over her baby, but love transfigures her power into acts of service, feeding, protecting, and self-sacrifice. As any sleep-deprived, physically drained, and overwhelmed new mom will tell you, Love pushes you beyond anything you ever thought you could do. This is the unblocked love of God flowing freely through a heart. In our weakness, God's power, this loving power, can be demonstrated. God's life breaks into the world, not through the abuse of power, but through power that is surrendered to his love. Marva Dawn it writes in her book about power and weakness that God has more need of our weakness than our strength. Just as powers overstep their bounds and become God's, so our power becomes a rival to God. Our power can become a rival to God. As the Psalms and Isaiah teach us, God's way is not to take us out of tribulation, but to comfort us in the midst of them, to exchange our strength in the face of them. By our union with Christ in the power of the Spirit, we display God's glory. A couple of weeks ago, just when I was starting to think about this sermon, I got a call from a relative in Alberta, and I was very sad to hear that his two-year-old son is sick with cancer and he might be coming to Seattle for treatment. We live pretty close to Children's Hospital, and he asked if they could stay with us, maybe weeks, months. He doesn't know how long the treatment will be. And my first thought was, yikes, that's the week I'm preparing a sermon. (laughs) I'm so glad no one ever gets to hear my first thoughts. (laughs) They're really not good. (laughs) My culture tells me That standing here and teaching with the authority of a pastor is a position of power. But I wonder if I wasn't expressing the heart of God this week just as powerfully when I made up the spare bed and set up the pack and play. Signs of blockage, do you see them in your life? Signs of health? Do you see those in your life? May we be people who provide unblocked access from God's heart to God's people because he is the shepherd who will leave the 99 every time to seek the one who's gone astray. As is our custom this summer, we are making space for quiet in our Sunday service. Together, in order that we can have an experience, not just take in more knowledge, but have it drop into our hearts where we can experience more freedom and a more loving opportunity to serve Jesus in our lives. And this morning, Troy Fenlison is going to come and lead us in our response time together. I'm also supposed invite the worship team back up.
1: So let's pray together, shall we? And if you let me, I'm going to guide you into a noticing and a listening kind of prayer. Let's decide together to pray with our hearts, by first noticing where we really are. Are you in your head, in your thoughts, in your worries, or someplace else? If so, just let yourself sink into the center of your being, so that you can be present to this moment and to listen with your heart. Listen with your whole heart and the true depths of your soul. Jesus said, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. Let's listen together for the voice of the Good Shepherd. Close your eyes if it helps. And find an image of the Good Shepherd in your mind. Where do you hear the call of the Good Shepherd? His voice will come forth out of silence. So we must first be comfortable to enter the silence, to hear his call. So let us be still. Let us be silent in our hearts, in our minds, so that we may listen, so that we may hear. still our anxious hearts Lord so that we may know that our shepherd is here our shepherd is here and as you come to know with your heart that he is here Let us also listen into our lives, into our recent experiences, and let us see where we notice the Good Shepherd. Where do you notice him? How do you look for him in the everyday of your life? Maybe first we should notice where do you find the weak, the sick, and the lost in your world? And if so, where in your world do you notice the arms or the shoulders that carry the weak? Or where do you notice the hands that tend to the sick? Or where are the feet that search for the lost? Or the voice that calls out to them, the voice that calls out to us, Where do you find the Spirit that cares for all people, especially the weak, the sick, and the lost? Lord, you are our good shepherd. We have found you here in this Spirit that cares for the vulnerable. This is where you are. Now that we have found you, speak to us. Speak to us from this place where we have noticed you. I'm going to give us now a couple of minutes of silence. Don't be afraid or resist the silence. And you don't need to make anything happen. Just be at rest in it. And I invite each one of you to enter the silence by praying this prayer and then listen. Pray, Good Shepherd, what are you inviting me to? And then listen. Pray this prayer and notice what he brings to your attention. Good Shepherd, what are you inviting me to? What are you inviting us to? let me suggest if you noticed or felt invited to something just take a moment to thank him for the gift you have received and express to him your desire or maybe even your fears to embrace his invitation may we remember your personal invitation to us today, even after we walk out these doors and into the world that awaits us. Amen.
0: Amen, thank you for joining us in worship if you 're headed out with Pastor Raoul to love aurora he 's right back there waving a hand there 's also three tables out there If you want to connect with Jake about this summer, if you want to connect to hear more about Bethany Fellows uh, and if you want to hear more about listening listening hearts and the opportunity for contemplative uh, events this this year, please sign up out there now receive the benediction from the words of Blaise Pascal, do small things as though they were great because of Jesus Christ. Do great things as as though they were small because of Jesus Christ. Go in peace.